0: you're listening to artifacts a show that dives into the fascinating history of famous artworks and painters broadcast on c31 stupid old studios youtube channel and the community radio network english-born painter tom roberts helped birth australian impressionism and along the way created one of the movement's masterpieces yeah i said it this week we're talking about shearing the rams Welcome to Artifacts. I'm Matt Stewart and I'm here with my very good friends, uh, Dave Warnicke and Jess. <laughs> Jess. And, <laughs> That'll um, do.
3: Hello. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for having
0: me. Thanks us. so much for joining me here. In your house. In my house. What uh, a beautiful home. The Ian Potter Centre is, is my lounge room.
1: <laughs> Ooh. Um,
0: I think of it as Melbourne's lounge room. Yeah. How comfy is it? It's beautiful. Is
1: the Yarra your toilet?
0: No, no. The it looks my, like <laughs> my bar. So we're here today to talk about this painting, which is a beautiful coincidence as we are sitting uh, right in front of it mm. now. Are you familiar with it?
3: Yes. I can actually say that most of the ones um, that we've done in this series, uh, no. But this one, yes, I am familiar with this one. feels blasphemous, but
1: for me, no.
0: Yeah, interesting. Huh. Well, you're going to learn a bit about it now, Dave. It's Thank an you. icon.
1: I'm loving what I'm saying. It's
0: like an icon meeting an icon. Thanks. And magic's been made. So your name? <laughs> So I'm going to tell you a bit about the artist Tom Roberts and then we'll get on to this icon of the art world. Mm -hmm. Shearing the rams. Can you tell? Great title. Yeah, it is what it says it is. But we'll start with the artist Tom Roberts. Great. Uh, He was born on either the 8th or the 9th of March in 1856. They're not sure which one. It depends on whether you trust his birth certificate or his tombstone. Personally, when it comes to births, I got the birth certificate. feels like that's right in its area of expertise. Yeah,
1: but uh, the birth certificate didn't say anything about his date of death. No, it didn't. You trust
0: the tombstone for that one. Exactly. (laughs) Um, So he was born in Dorchester in England. After his father Richard died, his mother Matilda immigrated with Tom and his two siblings to Australia, where they lived in Collingwood, a suburb of Melbourne from 1869. Nice. The first years in Australia were tough, with the family struggling to make ends meet. Tom started becoming interested in art, and by 1873 he was studying at the Collingwood and Carlton Artisans School of Design. Ooh. He quickly showed promise and was awarded a prize for landscape painting. Huh? How many of them have you got?
1: Three. Only two. Oh,
0: yeah. Well, I don't have any.
3: Don't ask me to do people though. Cannot even do stick figures. Landscapes? I'm amazing.
0: Harder <laughs> noses.
3: Oh, don't get me started. Look all well, I... oh, he's done. So many of them too. Yeah, heaps of noses.
1: Nearly all of them have a nose. What about that? There's a guy at the back with a hat covering his nose. Yeah. <laughs> I that's a trick I use. Stuff the nose <laughs> it's up. Too hard. In
0: 1874, he enrolled at the National Gallery of Victoria's Art School. So this part of what is now the Ian Potter Centre, NGV, mm. he studied. It's interesting the NGV has such a long history, which is kind of cool. And there he became friends with another future legend of Australian painting, Frederick McCubbin. Oh, Ah, Ring any bells? Yes. He did that one there, (laughs) for instance. Wow. (laughs) I'm still getting over it, but that was a little print of that painting was in our lounge room when I was a kid. And it's so wild to be sitting near the real one.
3: You've never seen it? No,
0: I've never seen it. How cool. Yeah, so cool. While studying at the NGV school, McCubbin was nicknamed the prof. He loved (laughs) to read and the other students loved to hear what he'd learnt. So they called him the prof. Uh, Roberts, on the other hand, was nicknamed Bulldog. So we had Bulldog and the Prof. I love that and I'm
3: buying that album. Uh, From 1881 to
0: 1884, they were split up because Bulldog travelled to London where he was selected to study at the Royal Academy of Arts. He was one of the first Aussie artists to um, get the call up over there. While he was over in uh, London, he also spent a few weeks in Spain. And while he was travelling, he was introduced to the principles of Impressionism and plein air painting. You familiar with plein air painting?
3: No.
0: Don't have any idea what it was? I... <laughs> <laughs> Do you, have you not got it written down? I'm freaking frickin' hell, I'm i mean, Matt did that tell me actually before, but I thought that I was supposed to play along.
1: You were going to explain what <laughs> I
0: was? I said to you at the time, I'm like, this will give you a chance to look smart. And yeah, you hooked it. <laughs> but what I would have done is gone,
1: oh, I think that's where... Um, when you're out in the open, you're painting a landscape out in the open. And you would have said, I told you that before. Stop no, I wouldn't, no, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't
0: have.
1: you <laughs> wouldn't. Now, I'm really enjoying the story of this piece, but to be honest, I don't really trust Matt and what he's saying so far. So I thought I'd bring in a couple of experts from the NGV to really set the record straight. And hello to Angela Hessen and David Hurlston.
4: Hello. Thank you so much
1: for joining me. First of all, I just wanted to ask you about the, the artist Roberts and where he fits into the Australian landscape
4: so tom roberts is a really important figure for australian art he's certainly one of the most loved australian artists at ngv we think about robert's australian precursors people like eugene von gerard who were very much in the kind of romantic tradition where they are removed from the landscape. They're looking at it as something wondrous and sublime. Roberts and his friends were all about embedding themselves in it, getting to know it really intimately. So we see landscapes that have no horizon line, a new sense of real familiarity with Australian bushes and trees. And there's that sense of this as something that is familiar, that is home, but that's being painted in a really revolutionary way.
5: And in fact that was the the start of what we Know now, or we we refer to as the Australian Impressionism movement, where the artists would get together and go on these camps into the bush.
4: And actually, it's interesting to note that Victorian ideas around propriety and gender played a real part in this. So. Sutherland and other women artists weren't able to stay overnight at the camps because that was seen as as indecent when there were men staying there. So they would would trek out um, on the train, they'd take all their canvases and their materials and they'd spend the day painting with the men and then they'd have to go home again in the evening. And then
1: do it all again the next day.
4: And it's for this reason actually, the painting behind us is an unusually large example of Sutherland's work, but a lot of these women were painting most of the time on a smaller scale in part, just because they had to carry all of those materials. And materials were really expensive, and they were paid less too. So it was a difficult time, but they but they made a go of it. Yeah, yeah.
0: So plein air painting basically it's the practice of painting landscape pictures out of doors, oh. ah. or outside, as you might say today.
3: I would say out of doors.
0: It's a mm. French term, okay. I believe.
3: So you're out in the landscape. Yeah, while yeah. you Paint the landscape That's
0: that you're right. in. That's right. Picture Again. it. You're
3: out there. Yeah, doing a bit of this.
0: That's right. You got the big easel out. Yep.
3: You just look slightly over one side of the canvas and go, ah, yes. Yeah. Back to it. Yeah.
0: That's right. That's plein air. Yeah, nice. The things he learnt in Europe helped shape his style, and according to the Australian Dictionary of Biography, one of my favourite websites. Great source. It's a great source. Love the ADB. (laughs) Uh, He returned to Melbourne in 1885 at precisely the right moment to instigate a new school of painting based on plein air practice. Which was allied to notions of nationalism and regionalism.
1: I love that he precisely the right moment. Like he stepped off the boat, and someone was saying, "I reckon we need a new school," and he went, "I've got an idea."
0: (laughs) All right. Exactly. That's pretty. That's pretty much what happened. But yeah, it was interesting because at that time, around that time, it was the first time there were more Australian-born people than European immigrants living in Australia. Ah. You know what I mean? And apparently there was. It's starting to go, all the old Europeans were starting to, or the young Europeans were going, we need to start getting our own identity here. Forget the motherland. We're a, we're a country now, or we're about to be. Still weren't, but it was moving that way. So they wanted the art to reflect it. Uh, the ADB goes on. Uh, Robert's Melbourne colleagues immediately benefited from his experience. Arthur Streeton, for one, later claimed that Bulldog's example was crucial. For him, it was, it was a big deal. Uh, in the following years, after his return, Robertson and McCubbin, aka the Prof. Prof and the Bulldog.
3: Bulldog and the Prof. Uh,
0: Roberts and McCubbin started going on painting trips with others, including Streeton, as well as Charles Condor. And you can see a Condor just sort <laughs> of. <laughs> <laughs> they would camp in places like Box Hill, Mentone, and later in the Heidelberg area. A couple of those paintings over there are from the Mentone trips. Mm. Um, Looks very different these days. Does look a little different. Quite
1: different,
3: yeah.
0: Yeah, it was before the edgy was there, for instance. That famous pub that (laughs) That we've all been to. We've all been to. Dollar Pots Wednesday nights.
3: (laughs) That's a good deal. That's that's too good a deal. That's a dangerous deal.
0: It was a dangerous (laughs) deal. Roberts later said, we went to the bush and tried to get it down as truly as we could. And that was always his ambition. Mm. Robert's 1886 painting, as you can see here, the Artist camp, portrays one of their camping trips to Box Hill. Uh, that's Frederick McCubbin seated by the tent, and another artist, uh, Lewis Abrahams, in the hat. Lewis has just cooked some chops. <laughs> and what he's doing here is showing Frederick McCubbin the freshly cooked chops. Look at this. Hey,
1: Fred. Hey, hey. Look at this. check out me chops.
0: Yeah no truer representation yeah. of that will you find.
1: No, it's his nickname, The Hat.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was The Hat.
1: No, it was Chop. Bulldog the problem <laughs> Some people call me Chop. You know why.
0: <laughs> These plein air trips were the beginning of what would come to be known as the Heidelberg School. Art critic Sydney Dickinson coined the term, the Heidelberg School, uh, in 1891 when reviewing works by Arthur Streeton and Walter Withers. Since then, the term has evolved to incorporate all painters who went on these plein air artist camps around Melbourne and Sydney in the 1880s and 1890s. So we don't count. If we went there now, it doesn't. You doesn't could go count. to an artist camp in Box Hill now, but yeah. I'm afraid you don't, you don't make sense. It doesn't qualify. It's, got, it's mm. both time and place. Sorry, mate. So
1: if I went to, to shoot, uh, play some laser tag at Dark Zone in Box Hill, that wouldn't count? That doesn't count? Yeah. Are you kidding me?
0: Well, you come up with another thing.
1: Laser tag can be art?
0: It could be the laser tag Box Hill school. A lot of the artists you've mentioned, Rob's included, have often
1: been referred to as being part of the Heidelberg School. David, can you tell us more about that term?
5: I mean, certainly the artists painted in Heidelberg, but they painted in lots of other locations around Melbourne, but also in Sydney. So that's a commonly used term, but we like to use the term Australian Impressionism. Um, to more accurately capture that sort of movement. I
4: think one of the things that was really important for them was finding new areas of inspiration. And after the turn of the century, several of them go back to Europe again. So Roberts, after after sort of 1901, is back in London for a number of years. They're really quite nomadic.
0: According to the Art Gallery of New South Wales, in 1889, along with McCubbin, Streeton, Condor, and others, Roberts staged the 9x5 Impression I- exhibition in Melbourne which consisted of impressions of bush and city life rapidly painted on cigar box lids. So I think it was in part because they didn't have a lot of cash for canvases and whatever. So they just reused these cigar box lids, little paintings, and they had this, it was, became quite an influential exhibition. Although art critic for the Argus newspaper, James Smith condemned most of the paintings as a pain to the eye.
3: (laughs) Just too small. Oh, I can't can't see it properly. A pain to the eye. Yeah, Okay. that's pretty rough. Yeah. That's rough
0: feedback. It's
1: like he poked himself in the eye with a cigar.
3: Yeah, I think it was unrelated to the art.
0: (laughs) Despite being scorned by our conservative critics, this groundbreaking show reinforced the group's claim that they were creating a new type of art in Australia. Cup that Smith, your dog. (laughs) What do you know? According to the State Library of New South Wales, the success of the wool industry made many squatters and pastoralists immensely wealthy, and by the 1880s, the wool business was booming. Hey, we're getting under wool.
3: Mm. That feels relevant.
0: Yeah, that's why I mentioned it. According to the Wheeler Centre, when Tom Roberts painted Shearing the Rams, he wanted to create a painting that would represent Australian life. What do you reckon? Is that how you see Australian life?
3: Yeah, pretty
0: much, yeah. It's like a bloody my shed house in Fitzroy, am I right? Yeah,
3: my life is reflected in this painting, very much so. In
0: 1888, Roberts visited Brocklesby Sheep Station north of the Murray River. Here's a photo of the shearing shed uh, from the NGV archives. Roberts took that himself. Wow. So this is the outside of what he painted here. Hmm. Observing the shearers, Roberts drew around 80 sketches on his first trip there. A few of them are still in existence, you can see. He returned there twice more to continue work on what would become shearing the Rams. According to Lee Asprey in an essay featured on the NGV website, Roberts picked out the most characteristic and picturesque of the shearers. Imagine how brutal that would oh be. Yeah. Line up, cut. Line up, fellas. Oh. Line up and went,
1: Nah, nah you no, can't. You can't. You're
0: going. You've got a
3: great personality, mate, but that doesn't come across in paint.
1: Well, come back tomorrow in case he falls through. Yeah.
3: Can you have a bath tonight and uh, come back tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Not in those shoes.
3: <laughs> well, a few of them aren't wearing shoes. I which. know it's
1: a bit of an OHS yeah. issue. This young chap down here in the no bottom. No protective of shoes. No. No shoes at all. No. Nah. What do you think about that? Yeah. And the bloke over there smoking his pipe with a, a bushy beard? That's a recipe
0: for disaster. <laughs> so.
1: Good to know that these are the hotties.
0: Yes. The this is the hottest of the hot.
3: Yeah. He wanted it to represent Australia. Yes. And we're a nation of hotties. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. We went through a similar process casting the show.
3: Yeah, absolutely. You? Were, you should
0: see the actors behind oh the camera. Oh <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh, They're disgusting.
5: A couple of interesting things. The Shearing Shed stood until 1965. It was burnt down, unfortunately, in a bushfire. But before it was burned, someone went up and reclaimed some of the panels from the walls where Roberts had actually cleaned his brushes, wiped the brushes on the, the wood from the wall. And we've got those now in, in the collection and we've, oh, done, wow. we've done the tests and the paint matches exactly the paint in the painting. So we know that there is an element at least
0: that he painted, you know, in situ on location. But he was right there. He was right there. After the shearers went home at the end of the day, Roberts continued painting, paying a couple of local girls to kick up dust in the empty shed to recreate the hectic atmosphere of shearing time.
3: They just got paid to just kick dust kick around. Kick up dust. That's a job I can get behind. <laughs> but
1: what's the hourly rate for a dust
3: kicker? Oh, I'd charge nine.
1: Nine bucks? Yeah, even back then. <laughs> oh, my God.
0: Back then. Back like then. I believe the tar boy here was one of the girls.
1: The, what did you call him, sorry? Tar, tar boy. The tar boy.
0: So that tar boy was a job, I think, up, mm. yeah, they had to like, patch up maybe wounds or something.
1: That is grim.
0: Yeah.
5: Look,
4: <laughs> I can't
1: believe how happy he is about having it, a great time. a psychopath. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I can't wait till I cut one of these sheep. I love it when a sheep bleeds.
0: <laughs> it's possible because uh, she wasn't actually a tar boy. Maybe that's why she hadn't seen the grim reality right, of it. Yeah. She's posing there in an empty room. Asprey continues. It was not until sometime in May 1890 that Roberts eventually finished the painting in his Melbourne studio. Shearing the Rams was a carefully and consciously formulated painting executed over a long period, not an informal slice of life glimpsed. In an Australian shearing shed. So you might be like, oh, this is just a little snapshot. But he he really, I mean, there's models, he picked out the prettiest.
3: It's carefully put together, yeah. And put together
0: over a few years, from sketches to. He's
1: cast
3: this, it's a little play.
0: That's right. Uh, This is what Neighbours was based on. (laughs) That's Joe Mangle. (laughs) Deep cut that one. What makes robert's treatment of the shearing theme unique is the conscious attempt to achieve the heroization of pastoral labor and his rendering of the light and atmosphere in the shearing shed you know they look heroic one of the criticisms i read about that people had at the time was that they you they use the old manual shears even though like the electrical motorised or whatever shears had come in a couple of years earlier. Oh. But it's sort of, it's still, it's already like a slightly nostalgic look. Well, I mean, look. that's
1: what happens when it takes you years to paint something. <laughs> yeah. Stuff. stuff becomes obsolete. We don't have a tar boy anymore. <laughs> that's a tar
0: man. <laughs> uh, when Robert showed shearing the Rams in 1890, James Smith, you would remember oh, yeah. mentioning before. Here
3: we go, what did he think?
0: Uh, Not only was he a a leading art critic at the Argus, but he was also a trustee here at the NGV. And he found the painting too naturalistic, saying... Oh, my God.
1: (laughs) It's a little too real. (laughs) A little too real. I mean, where are the spaceships? Yeah. (laughs) Where are they? I mean, I could go and see this on a farm. You're an artist, make it more interesting. Yeah. Mm. Sorry, what did he actually say?
0: Well, he said... Art should be of all times, not of one time, of all places, not of one place. <laughs> I don't know what he, was, what he wants to see.
3: But then if, Just, if it was somehow a piece of art from all places and all times, he'd be like, I want a more specific yeah, experience. A bit busy. Yeah. Apparently
0: Roberts countered Smith's criticism, saying, by making art the perfect expression of one time and one place, it becomes for all time and for all places. <laughs> basically like, <laughs> yes, <yeah>, Smith? <laughs> Cop that. Smith also said, we do not go to an art gallery to see how sheep are shorn." Oh my, okay. What does this
1: guy go for a gallery Yeah, what does he go for? Yeah, it's everything.
0: I don't know. It just feels like he didn't like Roberts that much. I think he did review Roberts favourably at some point, but yeah. Seemed to have a few digs at him as well. Mm. Uh, Roberts was keen to sell the painting to the NGV, but they passed. And I think this was due to Smith's influence, as well as the director of the time, George Follingsby, he also wasn't a fan. But there were, there were people who wanted it, and there were other journals who were like, this is great, you'd be, it'd be silly not to purchase at NGV, and then yeah. you'd be like, this. People don't go to galleries to see sheep, they wanna see paintings. And then someone's like, it's a painting of a sheep. Oh, oh well, oh. it's too late, I've already said <laughs> no. Yeah, it
1: would look silly if I called Yeah, now right. I'll, yeah, I'll be embarrassed. Like,
0: Others, as I say, viewed the painting much more favourably. A glowing article in Table Tale magazine uh, from May 1890 wrote, The whole work is alive with action and animation. Every figure suggests life and motion. And each point in the picture worthily forms a picture of itself. It's like there's a, there's a bunch of art uh, in the art. Also, the same review also says, it is strikingly representative of the life of the country and, as such, will unquestionably achieve distinction. Oh. They were big raps on and it. They
1: were saying it's the life of the, the country. The country. So that is everything, yeah, exactly. all at once. Yes. Yeah. Okay, I'm getting confused now.
0: They <laughs> said, Mr. Roberts' painting is always strong, but in the present case, it is masterly. They loved it. Nice. That's a rave review. Yeah, that's 5 stars. That's a five-star. That's five-star.
1: At least, well, it reads like a five. Reads like a five, yeah, for sure.
0: Uh, it eventually was sold privately after the NGV passed on it to Edward Trenchard, who worked in the wool industry, and it was displayed in his Melbourne office. I think also at the Paris end of Collins oh, Street.
1: Fantastic. And That's a big office.
0: Yeah. In the following years, Roberts continued to focus on the Australian bush, with further paintings depicting life on sheep stations as well as bush ranging. According to Art Gallery of New South Wales, his increasingly large-scale paintings paid homage to rural life and pastoral industry, as the Golden Fleece from 1894 or the dangers and romance of bushranging, as in Bailed Up. You can see how uh, posed that is. Look at the pose.
1: No pose. It'd be
0: hard to get horses to pose, wouldn't it?
1: You've got to superglue them to the ground. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Which they're they're made of that,
0: so it's yeah. They're sort of self-sourcing and <laughs> self-gluing. Uh, he was commissioned to paint the opening of the first federal parliament of Australia. So it's funny, he's, he's not that well respected, not, not particularly, some of his contemporaries were much more beloved in their lifetimes. But he he was commissioned um, to paint the opening of, of federal parliament, which was dubbed the big picture. That was sort of what it's become known as. This painting was completed in London in 1903 and yet it's still displayed at Parliament House up in Canberra today. After further travel in Belgium, the Netherlands and Italy, and some modest successes at the Royal Academy of Arts in London, Roberts returned to Australia in 1919. He settled in Callista outside Melbourne, where he continued to paint small evocative landscapes until his death in 1931. But it, it was sort of seen as a decline. Most biographies talk about these last 30 years as a bit of an artistic decline. He hit patches where he didn't paint anything at all for years at a time. That's quite a decline. Yes. In output anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, he was sort of didn't, because he wasn't getting the acclaim. Yeah. He wasn't getting that much work. So he was sort of struggling to know which direction to go in, not realising that a lot of the work he'd done he, were already bona fide classics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the same as, as well as him, his painting was also not seen as necessarily as the classic until later. Joy of Museums describes the work as one of the best-known and most loved pictures in Australia. It is a masterpiece of Australian Impressionism and an iconic representation of Australia's significant wool industry. And according to the Wheeler Centre, his image of men hard at work in a shearing station has endured since as a symbol of iconic national values like hard work and mateship and of the characters who live and work in country Australia. In time, the painting became ubiquitous at least to everyone but Dave, uh, in Australian culture, as David Hanson wrote in 2007, this is the picture we all recognise from school books, calendars, jigsaw puzzles, matchboxes and postage stamps. Probably the only Australian picture well enough known to be used in an advertisement for men's underpants. It's also used in a, in a hardware ad at one point. That's <laughs> how you know you've made it. Yeah. During his life, the NGV only purchased one of his works, a 1919 painting named... Penelope, but since then they've become big fans and they now own 60 of his works.
3: Wow. Okay.
0: Yeah. Uh, while the painting is seen as a representation of Australian identity, it is clearly through a particularly white European and masculine lens. Uh, many artists have since subverted it uh, in different ways, an example being Diane Jones's Shearing the Rams from 2001. Of her work, Jones wrote, I've used this iconic painting by Tom Roberts to highlight that Indigenous people were shearers too. I've kept the original title of Tom Roberts' painting, Shearing the Rams, because I did not think that I needed to change it in any way, because this is a portrayal of history that I know is true. My father was a gun shearer and my brother was also a shearer. Uh, In 1979, Pam Debenham created an altered version of the work titled Strong Feminine Labor as a feminist recreation. Other works that are thought to directly reference Robert's iconic painting include George Washington Lambert's 1921 work, Weighing the Fleece, and Marcus Bealby's Sir John Sulman prize-winning Crutching the Ewes from 1987. Wow. So this iconic Australian painting's influence has lived on for many generations after Robert's uh, journeyed out to the Brocklesby sheep station. I
5: think it's probably one of our most recognisable paintings. Certainly, you know, it's one of our most loved.
4: When something is set up as a national narrative, you know, when you, when you paint something as an intentional icon, which yeah, Roberts yeah. really did, that almost kind of occupied the place of religious painting or history painting mm-hmm. in a way, those kinds of images are really ripe for appropriation yeah. and parody and you think, who is privileged and celebrated in these kinds of images, you know, and we think very much this is an image of white masculinity, yeah. a particular rugged version of that, that of course doesn't necessarily represent what we would see as, as the kind of national identity that we want to exclusively embrace today. Um, so I think in a way it's kind of inevitable that that happens to yeah. images like these.
0: To celebrate its 130th anniversary, in 2020 the NGV loaned the painting to the Wangarata Art Gallery about an hour down the road from the sheep station it was painted, painted at. Keith Wise, the grandson of one of the shearers in the painting, Jack Wise, uh, this guy here. Oh, cool. Um, he had drink coasters with the painting on his dining table for, for as long as he could remember. But it wasn't until 2020 that he actually saw the painting in real life, um, which you can see him doing.
3: That's so nice.
0: That's him on the left there. So that's the story of shearing the rams. What do you reckon?
1: Love it. Shout out to the Tarboy.
3: Oh yeah, Yeah. Tarboy's the real star, I think. Uh, Second, maybe only to this ram that really looks like it's accepted its fate. Yeah. It's it's (laughs) it's just just kind of like, all right, let's get it over and done with.
0: Yeah, it's it's so sad, but it's it's interesting how, maybe if you're an artist, right, uh, you can just go, look, I know I'm not (laughs) a big deal now, but do you just wait till I die. Yeah. Then I'll show them. Yeah, um, that's 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 really a pep talk for you. Don't if think? I was an good artist, good takeaway.
3: Thanks. Do you know what I'd do? I would fake my own death. Oh. Wait for my art to get really popular. Ta-da. Come oh, back. I'll come back. Money, 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 money. And that's money. the ultimate,
1: <laughs> ultimate artistic
3: yeah. performance. I mean, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It will be performance art. That's great. So you can't be mad at me because I was just doing art.
0: Yeah. Dugon Presents Artifacts has been made with the support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation and is available nationwide on the Community Radio Network.